0: Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen our guide to research tips. It's a surprisingly good episode that shares the ins and outs of keeping from being duped online by bad information, and how to read between the lines on sensational science reporting, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And you might notice in this episode, Chuck sounds different than usual. That's because this is during the period that he was transitioning into a person with a full set of teeth. So that adds to the hilarity of the whole thing. I hope you enjoy this as much as we did making it. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. This is Stuff You Should Know. Um...
1: Josh, we're going to do something weird today, and we're going to do a listener mail at the head of the podcast. What? I know, right? What? hmm All right, let's do it. Okay, uh, this is from... Bianca. Wait, wait, hold on. Ah. Do we have the
0: listener mail music going?
1: Oh, I don't know. Jerry? Should we go the whole nine yards? So let's do it. People might freak out. I know. Uh, all right, this is from Bianca uh, Boisich, is what I'm going
0: to say. I think that's great.
1: Uh, hey, guys. Wrote you not too long ago asking about how you research your own podcast. I just got back from a class where we talked about research misrepresentation in journal articles. Apparently, journals don't publish everything that is submitted. And a lot of researchers don't even publish their studies. If they don't like the results. Uh, some laws have been put into place to prevent misrepresentation, such as researchers having to register their studies before they get results and journals only accepting pre-registered studies, but apparently this is not happening at all, even though it is now technically law. Uh, This ends with the general public uh, being misinformed about methods and drugs that work. For example, there are 25 studies proving a drug works and 25 that don't. It's more likely that 20 of the positive results have been published and only one or two of the negative. Uh, And that is from Bianca. And that led us to this article on our own website, Ten signs that that study is bogus. Yeah. And here it is. (laughs) Nice, Chuck. Well, we get asked a lot about research from people. Usually in college, they're like, you guys are professional researchers. How do I know I'm doing a good job and getting good info? And it's getting harder and harder these days.
0: It it really is. You know? One sign that I've learned is if you are searching about a study and all of the um, hits that come back, are from different news organizations and they're all within like a two, three day period yeah. from a year ago. Copy-paste. Nothing like, nothing more <laughs> recent than that. Then somebody released a sensational study and no one did any actual effort into investigating yeah. it and there was no follow-up. Yeah. If you dig deep enough, somebody might have done follow-up or something like that. But for the most part, it was just uh, something that splashed across the headlines, which more often than not is the is the case as far as science reporting goes. So that's a bonus. That's the 11th. Boom. How about that? Yeah.
1: Should we just start banging these out? Let's do it. Or do you have some other uh, clever segue?
0: <laughs> oh, well, apart and parcel with that, I don't know if it's clever. <laughs> you do come across people who you know can be trusted and relied upon to like, do good science reporting. So like Ed Yong is one. Uh-huh. Um, another guy named Ben Goldacre has something called bad science. I don't remember what. Outlet he's with, and then there's a guy I think Scientific American named John Horgan who's awesome.
1: Yeah, or some journalism organizations that have been around and stood the test of time that you know are really doing it right, like uh, Nature.
0: Yeah, Scientific American is
1: like really science. Yeah, like I feel I feel really good about using those
0: sources. Yeah, but even they can. You know, there's, there's something the called scientism where there's a lot of, like, uh, faith and dogma associated yeah. with the scientific process. And, you know, you have to root through that as well. True. All right, I'm done. Uh,
1: the first one that they have here on the list is that it's unrepeatable. And, and that's a big one. Um, the Center for Open Science did a study. Uh, it was a project, really, where they took 270 researchers and they said, you know what? Take these 100 studies that have been published already. Uh, psychological studies, mm-hmm. and just pour over them. And uh, in 2015, just last year, it took them a while, took them several years. They said, you know what? More than half of these can't even be repeated using the same methods. They're not reproducible. Nope, not reproducible.
0: That's a big one. And and ones that means that they, they when they carried out, they followed the methodology. Uh-huh. Um, Scientific Method Podcast, you should listen to that one. That was a good one. Yeah. That they, they found that their results were just not what the, what the people published, not anywhere near them. Yeah. Um, for example, they used one as an example where a study found that men were terrible at, de- at determining whether a woman was giving them um, some sort of a, like a clues to attraction uh-huh. or just being friendly. Yeah. Sexy, sexy stuff. Or, or just be friends. Or yeah, or good to meet you. Yeah, or buzz off, jerk. Sure. Yeah. Um, and they, they did the study again and as part of this uh, Open Science, Center for Open Science study or survey. And they found that that was not reproducible or that they, they came up with totally different results. And that was just one of many.
1: Yeah. And in this case specifically, they looked into that study and they found that it was um, one was in the United Kingdom. One was in the United
0: States. Right. it so may have something to do with it. But the point is Chuck is if you're talking about humanity I don't think that the study was like the American male is terrible at it it's men are terrible at it Right So that means that whether it's in the UK which is basically the US with an accent and a penchant for tea <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding UK see you soon Um the the, the it should be universal Yeah you know, agreed. Unless you're saying no, it's just this only applies to American men, right? Or these they these
1: 100 right. American men, <laughs> right? <laughs> then it's not even a study. Yeah. Uh, the next one we have is uh, it's it's plausible, not necessarily provable, and this is a big one because, and I think um, we're talking about observational studies here more than lab experiments, right? Because with observational studies, you know, you sit in a room and get asked 300 questions about something, mm-hmm. and all these people get asked the same questions, and then they pour over the data, and they draw out their own observations.
0: Right. And one of the, very famously, an observational study that led to false results found a, a correlation between having a type A personality and um, being prone to uh, risk for heart attacks. Yeah. And... um For a long time, you know that the news outlets were like, oh, yes, of course. That makes total sense. Right. This study proved what we've all known all along. Um, And then it came out that, no, actually what was going on was a a well-known anomaly where you have a 5% um, risk that chance will produce something that looks like a statistically significant correlation. When it's not at all. When really it's just total chance. and. Science is aware of this, especially with observational studies, um, because the more questions you have, the more opportunity you have for that 5% chance to create a seemingly statistically significant correlation right. when really it, it, it's not there. It was just random chance where if somebody else goes back and does the same same uh, study, they're not going to come up with the same yeah. results. But the if a researcher is, I would guess, willfully blind to that 5% Uh chance. Um, They will go ahead and produce the study and be like, no, it's true. Here's the results right here. Go ahead and report on it and make my career.
1: Yeah, well, and they also might be looking for something. In fact, chances are they are. Um, It's not just some random study and like, let's just see what we get if we ask a bunch of weird questions. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're looking to try and prove something most likely. So that Bader-Meinhof thing might come into play where you're kind of cherry picking Data?
0: Yeah, that's a big problem. That kind of comes up. A lot of these are really kind of interrelated, too. Oh, totally.
1: The other big thing that's interrelated is how the media reports on science these days. Yeah, you know. It's a big deal. Yeah. Like, John Oliver just recently went off on this, and NPR did a thing on it. That's great. Like, they might even, like, the researcher might say plausible, but it doesn't get portrayed that way. Oh, yeah. In the media. Sure. Remember
0: that poor kid who thought he found the ancient Mayan city? The yeah. media just took it and ran with it, you know? I, yeah, I think there was a lot of maybe or it's possible we need to go check kind of thing. The media's right. like, no, he discovered an ancient Mayan city never known before. Yeah, and let's put it in a headline. And that's, I mean, that's the that's just kind of the way it is these days. Yeah. You have to be able to sort through it. and I guess that's what we're doing here, aren't we, Chuck? We're telling everybody how to sort through it. Little, or at the yeah. very least, take scientific reporting with a grain of salt.
1: Yes. Right, not well, like you don't necessarily have the time to go through and double that research and then check on that research and, you know. Right. So take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, unsound samples. Uh, here was a study that basically said um, how you lost your virginity is going to have a very uh, large impact and play a role on how you feel about sex and experience sex for the rest of your
0: life. Yeah possible. Sure. It seems logical. So we'll just go with it. But when you
1: um, only interview college students and uh, you don't, you only interview heterosexual people, then you can't really say you've done a robust study now, can you?
0: Plus, you also take out of the uh, sample size or sample population, anybody who reports having had a violent encounter. Yeah. Throw them out. Yeah, that data out because that's not going to inform how you feel about sex. Right. Exactly. You're just narrowing it down further and further. And, and again, cherry picking the data by throwing people out of your population sample that don't that will throw off the data that you want.
1: Yeah. And I'd never heard of this acronym uh weird. And um, a lot of these studies are conducted by professors and academics. So a lot of times you got college students as your sample and there's something called weird uh Western educated from industrialized, rich, and democratic
0: countries, right? Those are the participants in the studies, the yes, study subjects. But then
1: they will say, "Men, We're right?" Like, well, what about the gay man in Africa,
0: right? <laughs> like you yeah. didn't ask him. So that was that's actually a really, really big deal. Um, in 2010, they, these uh, three researchers did a, sur- a survey of a ton of social science and uh, behavioral science studies found that 80% of them used weird study participants. So basically it was college kids for 80% of these papers. And they surveyed a bunch of papers. And they took it a little further, and they said that um, people who fit into the weird category only make up 12% of the world population, but they represent 80% of the population of these studies. And a, a college student, Chuck, in North America... Europe, Israel, or Australia ha- is 4,000 times more likely to be in a scientific study than anyone else on the planet. Yeah. And they're basing, psychology and behavioral sciences are basing their findings mm-hmm. onto everybody else based on this, this small tranche of humanity. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big problem. That's extremely misleading.
1: Yeah. And it's also a little insulting because what they're essentially saying is like, th- this is w- who matters.
0: Well, also, yeah, but what's sad is this is who I, I am going to go to the trouble of recruiting for right. my study. Yeah. It's just sheer laziness. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of them are like, well, I don't have the funding to, to True. do that. I, I, I guess I see that. But at the same time, I guarantee there's a tremendous amount of laziness involved. Yeah. Or maybe if you don't have the money, maybe
1: don't do that study. Yeah. Is it that simple? I'm probably oversimplifying.
0: I don't know. I'm sure we're going to hear from some people in <laughs> academia about this one. We'll stop using weird participants. Or at the very least say, um, like, this is heterosexual only for weirds. Yeah. Dartmouth students. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this applies to them. Right. Not everybody in the world. Exactly. I mean, 80% of these studies were the, used those people as study participants. And they're not even they're not even emblematic of the rest of the human race. Like, college students are shown to see the world differently than other people around the world. Yeah. So it's not like you can be like, well, it still works. You can still extrapolate it. No, it's like flawed in every way, shape, and form. We should probably take a break,
1: huh? Yeah, let's take a break because you're getting a little hot under the collar. I love it. Man. Uh, We'll be right back after this. Just like the number of stars in the sky Stuff you should know. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff
0: you should know. All right, what's next, buddy? Uh, very small sample sizes.
1: Right. If you do a study, uh, with 20 mice then you're not doing a good enough study. No.
0: So the, they, they use this um, in, the, in the article. They use the idea of 10,000 smokers and 10,000 non-smokers. Yeah. And they said, okay, if you have a population sample that size, that's not bad. It's a pretty good start. And you find that 50% of the smokers develop lung cancer, but only 5% of non-smokers did, then your study has what's called a high power. Yeah. Um, it's if if you had something like ten smokers and ten non-smokers, and two of the smokers develop lung cancer and one develop lung cancer as well, you have very little power and you should have very little confidence in your findings. But regardless, it's still going to get reported if it's a sexy idea.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and because these are kind of overlapping in a lot of ways, there was I want to mention this guy, a scientist named Ulrich. Uh, uh he and his colleague, Malcolm McLeod, have been trying, I mean, and there are a lot of scientists that are trying to clean this up because mm-hmm. they know it's a problem. Uh, but he co-wrote an article in Nature uh, that's called Robust Research, colon, Institutions Must Do Their Part for Reproducibility. So this kind of ties back into the uh, reproducing things like we said earlier. Yeah. And his whole idea is, you know what, good funding, they should tie funding to good institutional practices like you shouldn't get the money if you can't show that you're doing it right yeah um and he said that would just weed out a lot of stuff uh here's one staggering stat uh, for reproducibility and small sample size uh biomedical researchers for drug companies reported that 25 percent of their only 25 percent of the papers that they publish are even reproducible and that was like an insider stat and doesn't matter The
0: drugs are still going to market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is That's a really good example of why this does matter to the average person. You know, like if you hear something like um, uh, monkeys like to cuddle with one another because they are reminded of their mother's study shows. Right. You could just be like, oh, that's great. I'm going to share that on the internet. It doesn't really affect you in any way. Yeah. But when there's studies being conducted that are... That are creating drugs that could kill you or not treat you or that kind of thing, and is is that's is, attracting money and funding and that kind of stuff. That's like that's harmful,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, I found
0: another survey. Did you like that terrible study idea that it came up no, with? No, I liked it. The monkeys no. like to cuddle. <laughs>
1: uh, 140 trainees at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Thank you, Houston, for yeah. being so kind to us. Yeah. At our recent show. Uh, they found that nearly a third of these um trainees felt pressure to support their mentors work, like to get ahead or not get fired. Okay. So that's another issue is you've got these trainees or residents, uh, and you have these mentors and even if you disagree or don't think it's a great study, you're you're pressured into just going along with it.
0: I could see that. For sure. There seems to be a huge hierarchy in um, science. Yeah, for sure. Like in a lab. You know, you got the person who runs the lab.
1: It's their lab. Yeah, you go against them. Right. Uh, But there are people um, like Science and Nature, two great journals, are updating their guidelines right now. They're introducing checklists. Um, Science hired uh, statisticians to their panel uh, of reviewing editors, not just other, you know, peer-reviewed... Like, they actually actually hired numbers people specifically. Oh, gotcha. Because um, that's to a help big... The process. That's
0: a huge part of studies, dude. Oh, yeah. It's like these, this mind-breaking statistical analysis yeah. that can be used for good or ill. And uh, I mean, I don't think the average scientist necessarily is a whiz at that. Although I, it has to be part of training. Right? Yeah, but not necessarily. I mean that's a different kind of beast altogether. Yeah. Um, stats.
1: We talked about it earlier. I took a stats class in college.
0: Oh, man, I had so much trouble.
1: I was awful at it. Yeah. It really just, it's a special kind of, is it even math? Hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it.
0: I passed it, though. I passed it because my professor took pity on me. Oh, that's nice. Um, that Ulrich Dernagel. <laughs> <laughs> Ulrich Dernagel. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, he is a he's a big time crusader for yeah. his jam make, making sure that science is good science, yeah one of the things um, he crusades against is the idea of you remember in that virginity study where they just threw out anybody who had a violent encounter for their first yeah. uh, sexual experience um, apparently that's a big deal with animal studies as well if you're studying the effects of a drug or something like there was there's one in the article um, if you're studying the effects of a, a stroke drug uh-huh. and you've got a control group of mice that are taking the drug or that aren't taking the drug and then a test group that are getting the drug. Um, and then like three mice from the test group die, mm-hmm. even though they're on the stroke drug, they die of a massive stroke and you just literally and figuratively throw them out of the study yeah, um, and don't include them in the results that changes the data and he's been on a, a peer review on a paper before. He's like, no, this doesn't pass peer review. You can't just throw out, what happened to these three yeah. rodents? You started with 10. There's only seven reported in the end. What happened to those three? And how many of them just don't report the 10? Yeah. And they're like, oh, we only started with seven. Wink, wink, you know?
1: Well, I I was about to say I get the urge. I don't get it because it's not right. But I think what happens is you work so hard at something. Yeah, oh, yeah. And you're like, how can I just walk away from 2 years of this well, because the, it didn't get a
0: result. Okay. The point of real science though. Yeah, you have to walk away from it. Well, you have to publish that. Yeah. And that's the other thing too and I guarantee scientists will say, "Hey man, Try getting a negative paper published in a good journal these days. Yeah. They don't want that kind of stuff. But part of it also is—I don't think it's enough to just have to be published in like a, a journal. You want to make the news cycle as well. Yeah. That makes it even better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors involved. But ultimately, if you take all that stuff away, if you take the culture away from it, you—if you get negative results. You're supposed to publish that so that some other scientists can come along and be like, oh, somebody else already did this using these methods that I was going to use. I'm not going to waste two years of my career because somebody else already did. Thank you, buddy, for saving me this time and trouble and effort to know that this does not work. You've proven this doesn't work. When you sought to prove it does work, you actually proved it didn't work. That's part of science.
1: Yeah, and I I wish there wasn't a negative connotation to a negative result cuz yeah. to me it's the value is the same. Sure. As proving something does work as proving something doesn't work, right? Right. But Again, no it's just not as sexy. Yeah. But I'm not sexy either. <laughs> so maybe that's why I get it. Uh here's one that I didn't know was a thing. Uh predatory publishing. I didn't know about it either. Never heard of this. So here's a scenario, you're a, a doctor or a scientist and um you get an email from a journal that says, "Hey, you got anything interesting for us? I've heard about your work. And you say, well, I actually do. I have this, this study right here. They say, cool, we'll publish it. And you go, great. My career is taking off. Then you get a bill that says, where's my three grand for publishing your article? And you're like, I, I don't owe you three grand. I'm like, All right, give us two. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I can't even give you two. And if you fight them long enough, maybe they'll drop it and never work with you again.
0: Or maybe it'll just be like we'll we'll talk to you next quarter right
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly uh that's called predatory publishing, and it is a i'm not sure how new it is uh maybe I'd, it's pretty new is it pretty new mm-hmm. but it's a thing now where uh, you can pay essentially to get something
0: published you yes you can um it kind it's kind of like who's who in behavioral sciences kind of thing, yeah, you know um and apparently it's new because it's a result of open source academic journals, which a lot of people push for, including Aaron Schwartz, uh, very famously, who, like, took a bunch of academic articles and published them online and was prosecuted heavily for it. Persecuted, you could even say. Yeah. Um, but the idea that science is behind this paywall, which is another art, a great article from Pricenomics, by the way, um, really just ticks a lot of people off. So they started to open source journals, right? And as a result, predatory publishers came about and said, oh, okay, yeah, let's make this free. Mm -hmm. But we need to make our money anyway, so we're going to charge the academic who wrote the study for publishing it.
1: Well, yeah, and and sometimes now it's just a flat-out scam operation, 100%. Right. There's this guy named Jeffrey Beal who is a research librarian. He is my new hero because he's truly like one of these dudes that has – He's trying to make a difference, and he's not profiting from this, but he's spending a lot of time by creating uh a list of of predatory publishers,
0: yeah, a significant list too,
1: yeah, how many four thousand of them mm-hmm. right now yeah um some of these companies flat out lie like they're literally based out of Pakistan or Nigeria, and they say no, we're a New York oh yeah, publisher, uh-huh so it's just a flat out scam. Or they lie about their review practices. Um, Like They might not have any review practices. Right. And they straight up lie and say they do. There was one called Scientific Journals International out of Minnesota that he found out was just one guy. Oh, yeah. Like literally working out of his home. Yeah. Just lobbying for articles, charging to get them published, not reviewing anything, Mm -hmm. and just saying, I'm a journal. Yeah. I'm a scientific journal. (laughs) Look at me go. He shut it down apparently or tried to sell it. Uh, I think he was found out. Um, and this other one, the International Journal of Engineering Research and Applications, they created an award and then gave it to itself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And even modeled the award from an Australian TV award, That's, like the the physical statue. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's fascinating.
1: I didn't know you could do that. I'm going to give ourselves Yeah, let's. An, the
0: best podcast in the universe award. I like that. It's going to look like uh, the Oscar. Yeah. Okay. Like the Oscar crossed with the Emmy. <laughs> uh, this other
1: one, Med, Med No Publications, actually confused the meaning of STM, Science, Technology, and Medicine. They thought it meant Sports, Technology, and Medicine.
0: No. <laughs> well, a lot of um, science journalists or scientists, too, but watchdogs like to send like, gibberish articles oh, really? into those things to see if they'll publish them. And sometimes they do. Frequently they do. They sniff them off the case? It's the big time. <laughs> How about that callback? It's been a while. It has been. Mm-hmm. It needs to
1: be a t-shirt. Should we take a break? Yeah. All right, we'll be back uh, and finish up right after this.
0: Just like the number of stars in the sky, there is so
1: much stuff you should know. So here's a big one. You ever heard the term follow the money? Mm-hmm. That's applicable to a lot of realms of society. Yeah. And most certainly in journals, um, if something looks hinky, just do a little
0: investigating and see who's sponsoring their work. Well, especially if that person is like, no, everyone else is wrong. Right. Climate change is not man-made kind of thing. Sure. You know, if you look at where their funding's coming from, you might be unsurprised to find that it's coming from people who would benefit from the idea that anthropogenic climate change isn't real. Yeah. Well, we might as well talk about him. Okay. Willie Soon. Yeah. Mr. Soon. Is he a doctor? Uh, he's, a, he's a physicist of some sort, yeah.
1: All right. I'm just going to say Mr. or Dr. Soon because okay. I'm not positive. Uh, he is one of a few people on the planet Earth, um, professionals, that is, right. who deny uh, human uh, climate change, human-influenced climate change, like you said. Yeah. You said the fancier word for it, though. An- anthropogenic?
0: Yeah, it's a good word.
1: Is that it. Um And he works at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. So, hey, he's with Harvard. He's got the cred, right? <laughs> right. Um, turns out, when you look into where he's getting his funding, uh, he received $1.2 million over the past decade from ExxonMobil, uh, the Southern Company, the Kochs, and the Koch Brothers, uh, their foundation, the Charles G. Koch Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exxon stopped in 2010, stopped funding him. But uh, the bulk of his money and his funding came, And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the American Petroleum Institute, came from people who clearly had a dog in this fight. And... It's just, uh, how can you trust this, you know?
0: Yeah, well, you trust it because there's a guy, and he has a Ph.D. in aerospace engineering, by the way. All right, he's a doc. He works with this um, this organization, the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, which yeah. is a legitimate place. Um, it doesn't get any funding from Harvard, but it gets a lot from NASA and from the Smithsonian. Well, and Harvard's
1: very clear to point this out when people ask them about Willie Soon. Right. Um, they're they're kind of like... Well, here's the quote. Uh, Willie Soon is a Smithsonian staff researcher at Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, a collaboration of the Harvard College Observatory and the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory. Like, they just want to be real clear, even though he uses a Harvard email address, he's not our employee.
0: No, but, again, he's getting lots of funding from NASA and lots of funding from the Smithsonian. This guy, um, if his scientific beliefs are what they are, and he's a smart guy— Yeah. Then, yeah, I don't know about like getting fired for saying, you know here's a paper on on the idea that climate change is not human made yeah, he thinks it's the sun's fault but he didn't he doesn't reveal in any of his um conflicts of interest uh at, that should go at the end of the paper, he didn't reveal where his funding was coming from, yeah, and I th- get the impression that in academia, if you're are totally cool with everybody thinking like you're a shill, you can get away with it.
1: Right. Well, this stuff, a lot of this stuff is not illegal. Right. Even predatory publishing is not illegal. Yeah. Just unethical. Right. And if you're counting on people to police themselves with ethics, a lot of times they'll disappoint you. Uh, The Heartland Institute gave Willie Soon a Courage Award. And if for you are not
0: caring about what other scientists think of him.
1: If you've heard the Heartland Institute, you might remember them. Uh they're a conservative think tank. You might remember them in the nineties when they worked uh alongside Philip Morris to deny the risks of secondhand smoke.
0: Yeah, that's all chronicled in that book I've talked about, Merchants of Doubt.
1: Oh really? Just the Heartland a, Institute. A
0: bunch of scientists, legitimate, bona fide scientists who are like up for for um being bought. Yeah. By groups like that. Sad. It is sad. Um And the whole the whole thing is they're saying like, well, you can't say without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? With, si- with absolute certainty, right? That that's the case. And science is like, no, science doesn't do that. Science right. doesn't do absolute certainty. But the average person reading a newspaper sees that. Oh, you can't say with absolute certainty. Well, yeah. then maybe it isn't man made, right? And then there's that doubt that the people just go and get the money for for yep. saying that for writing papers about it. Yeah. You know, it's millions it's of dollars. despicable,
1: yeah, it really is um, self reviewed uh <laughs> you've heard of peer review, we've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> peer review is when you have a study, and then one or more ideally more of your peers reviews your study and says, "You know what, you had best practices, you did it right, um it was reproducible, <clears throat> you followed the scientific method, um, I'm going to give it my stamp of approval and put my name on it, not literally, or is it I think so. It says who reviewed it? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. And Put like my name it on in it.
0: the journal when it's published. But n- not my
1: name as the author of study. You know what I mean? Right. Um, as and, a peer reviewer. Yeah, as a peer reviewer. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but people have faked this and <laughs> been their own peer reviewer, which is not how it works. It's, no. <laughs> who is this guy? Uh, well, I'm terrible at pronouncing uh, Korean names. So mm. all apologies. But I'm going to say Nung and Moon.
0: Nice. I Dr. Think,
1: Moon? I think, yeah, let's call him Dr. Moon.
0: Okay. So Dr. Moon um, worked on natural medicine, I believe, and was submitting all these papers that were getting reviewed very quickly. Because apparently part of the process of peer reviews is to say, this paper is great. Uh-huh. Can you recommend some people in your field right. that uh, can review your paper? And Dr. Moon said, I sure can. Yeah, he was on fire. Let me go make up some people (laughs) and make up some email addresses that actually come to my inbox. Uh And just posed as all of his own peer reviewers. He was lazy, though, is the thing. Like, I don't know that he would have been found out if he hadn't been um, careless, I guess. Because he was returning the reviews within, like, 24 hours sometimes. Yeah. A peer review of, like, a, a, a real... Um, study should take, I, I would guess, weeks if not months. Yeah. Like the the study, um, the publication schedule for the average study or paper, I don't think is a very quick thing. There's not a lot of quick turnaround. Right. And this guy or was busy. like, 24 hours. Well, and Here they're like,
1: <laughs> Dr. Moon, I see your paper was reviewed uh, and accepted by Dr. Mooney. <laughs> right. It's like, I just added a Y to the end. Right. It seemed easy. Yeah. Uh, if you Google peer review fraud you will be shocked at Mm -hmm. how often this happens and how many legit science publishers are having to retract studies Mm -hmm. Uh, and it doesn't mean they're bad Um, they're getting duped as well Uh, but there's one based in Berlin that, 2015 had 64 retractions because of uh, fraudulent reviews oh wow and they're just one publisher of many every publisher out there probably has been duped um Maybe not everyone. I'm surmising that. But it's a
0: big problem.
1: We should do a study on
0: it. (laughs) I'll review it. It'll end up in the headlines now. Right. Every single publisher duped, says Chuck. (laughs) Uh, And speaking of um, the headlines, Chuck, one of the problems with science reporting or reading science reporting is that what you usually are hearing, especially if it's making a big splash, is what's called the initial findings. Right. Somebody carried out a study, and this is what they found, and it's amazing and mind blowing, and it it um it supports everything everyone's always known. But now there's a scientific study that says yes, that's the case. And then, uh, if you wait a year or two, when uh, people follow up and reproduce the study and find that it's actually not the case, yeah, it doesn't get reported on usually yeah and, and
1: sometimes the the science uh, scientist or the publisher is they're doing it right, and they say initial findings, right, but uh, the public and sometimes even the reporter will say initial findings, but we as a, a people that ingest this stuff need to understand what that means right um, And the fine print is always like you know enough, you know more study is needed, but no one, if it's something that you want to be true, You'll just say, "Hey, look at this study." Right. You know it's brand new, and they need to study it for twenty more years. But, hey, look what it
0: says. Right. And the The more the more you start paying attention to this kind of thing, the more kind of disdain you have for that kind of just offhand, um, sensationalist science reporting. Yeah. But you'll still get caught up in it. Like every once in a while, I'll catch myself like saying yeah. something to you and be like, Oh, did you hear this? And then as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, That's preposterous. Yeah. There's no way that's going to pan out to be true. I got click baited. I know. I mean, we, we
1: have to avoid this stuff. It's tough. Yeah. Because we have our name on this podcast. Uh huh. But luckily, we've given ourselves the back door of saying, Hey, we make mistakes a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's true, though. We're, <laughs> We're not humans. experts. No. Yeah. We're not scientists.
1: Uh, and then finally, we're going to finish up with uh, the, the header on this one is it's a cool story. Yeah. And that's a big one because um, it's not enough these days. And this all ties in with media and how we read things as as people. But it's not enough just to have a study that might prove something. Right. You have to wrap it up in a nice
0: package. Yeah. And, and to deliver people. Get it in the news cycle. And the cooler, the better. Yep. Yep. It, it it almost doesn't matter about the science, as far as the media is concerned. They just want a good headline and a scientist who will say, "Yeah, that's that's cool. Here's what I found. Yep, this is going to change the world." Mm-hmm. Loch Ness monster is real. This is a kind of ended up being depressing somehow. Yeah, not somehow. Yeah,
1: like yeah, it's kind of depressing. I know. We'll figure it out, Chuck. Well, we do our best. I'll say that.
0: Science will prevail. I hope so. Uh, If you want to know more about science and scientific studies and research fraud and all that kind of stuff, just type some random words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. See what comes up. Yeah. And since I said random, it's time for listener mail. Oh, no. Oh, yeah? You know what it's time for. What? Administrative.
1: All right, Josh, administrative details. If you're new to the show, you don't know what it is, that's uh, the very clunky title. Yeah. We're saying thank you to uh, listeners who send us neat things.
0: It is clunky and generic, and I've totally gotten used to it by now. Well, you're the one who made it up. To be clunky and generic, and it's <laughs> stuck.
1: Yeah. So um, people send us stuff from time to time, and it's just very kind of, uh, of you to do so. Yes. And we like to give uh, shout-outs, whether or not it's just out of the goodness of your heart, or mm-hmm. if you have a little... Small business that you're trying to plug. Um, Either way, it's a sneaky way of getting it in there.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think we we brought that on, didn't we? Did we say like, if you have a small business and you yeah. send us something, we'll we'll be happy to to say something. Exactly. So, thank you.
1: All right, so let's get it going here. Uh, we got some coffee from uh,
0: from 1000 Faces right here in Athens, Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, from Kayla yeah delicious yes it was uh we also got some other coffee too from jonathan at steamworks coffee he came up with a josh and chuck blend oh yeah it's pretty awesome i believe it's available for sale too yeah the josh and chuck blend is dark and bitter <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh jim simmons uh, he's a retired teacher who sent us some lovely handmade wooden bowls oh yes and a very nice handwritten letter
0: which yep. is always great thanks a lot jim Uh, let's see, Chamberlain sent us homemade pasta, including a delicious, savory pumpkin fettuccine. It was very nice.
1: Yum. Uh, Jay Graft, two F's, sent us a postcard from the Great Wall of China. It's kind of neat. Sometimes we get those postcards from places
0: we've talked about. No, he's like, look where I am. Thanks, Jay. You guys aren't here. (laughs) Uh, let's see, the Hammer Press team. They sent us a bunch of Mother's Day cards that are wonderful. Oh, those are really nice. Really actually. great. You should check them out. The Hammer Press team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Misty, Billy, and Jessica. They sent us a care package of a lot of things. There were some cookies. Okay. Um, including one of my favorite, white chocolate dipped Ritz and peanut butter cracker.
0: Oh, yeah. Man, I love those. Homemade, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh,
1: then some 70s macrame uh, for you, along with... 70s macrame magazines. Yeah. Because you're obsessed with macrame.
0: We have a macrame plant holder hanging from my um, microphone arm. Uh Holding a cup. a coffee mug sent to us by Joe and Linda Hecht. Oh, that's right. And it has some pens in it. Uh,
1: And they also sent us, uh, Misty, Billy, and Jessica, a lovely little hand-drawn picture of us with their family, which was so
0: sweet. That is very awesome. Um, We've said it before. We'll say it again. Huge thank you to Jim Ruane. I believe that's how you say his name. And the Crown Royal people for sending us all the Crown Royal, <laughs> we are running low. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Mark Silberg of the Rocky Mountain Institute sent us a book called "Reinventing Fire."
0: Oh yeah, they're great out there. Man, they know what they're talking about.
1: And I think it's "Reinventing Fire: colon, Bold Businesses, Bold Business Solutions for the New Energy Era."
0: Yeah, they're they're basically like um, green energy observers, but I think they they. Um, They're experts in, like, all sectors of energy, but they have a focus on green energy. Which is awesome. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, John, uh, whose wife makes delightfully delicious doggy treats. Delightfully delicious is the name of the company. Uh There's no artificial colors or flavors. And they got um, Sweet Little Momo hooked on sweet potato dog treats. I
1: thought you were going to say hooked on the junk. Uh,
0: The the (laughs) sweet potato junk. She's crazy. Cuckoo for sweet potatoes. Nice. Oh, man. That's good for a dog, too. It is very uh strat
1: johnson sent us his band's uh, lp and if you're in a band your name is strat that's pretty cool sure uh diomea still
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think that was great yeah I did, i'm not sure if i pronounced it right d-i-o-m-a-e-a
0: uh frederick this is long overdue frederick at the 1521 store 1521store.com sent us some awesome low-profile cork iPhone cases and passport holders, and I was telling him, Jerry walks around with her iPhone in the uh, cork holder and it looks pretty sweet. Oh yeah. So he said, awesome, glad to hear it. Uh, Joe and Holly
1: Harper sent us some really cool 3D printed stuff you should know things, like S-Y-S-K you know, like a little desk
0: Oh, as like after Robert Indiana's love sculpture. Yeah, that's what I couldn't think of what that was from.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It's really neat and like a uh, a bracelet, um, made out of stuff you should know, uh, 3D carved, like
0: plastic. It's really neat. Yeah, they did some good stuff.
1: So um, thanks, uh, Joe and Holly Harper for that.
0: And then last for this one, uh, we got a postcard from Yosemite National Park from Laura Jackson. So thanks a lot for that. Thanks to everybody who sends us stuff. It's nice to know we're thought of and uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, we're going to finish up
1: uh, with another set on the next episode of Administrative Details. You got
0: anything else? No, that's it. Uh, oh, yeah. If you guys want to hang out with us on social media, you can go to SYSK Podcast on Twitter or on uh, Instagram. You can hang out with us at facebook.com slash stuff You can send us an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com and as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.